Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, I have a very, very special guest, Sam Tribuco, CEO of Alameda Research. How are you doing, Sam? Uh, hey, I'm good. How are you? Doing well, man. Can't complain. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, yeah. I, was, uh, I mean, never, never, not really want to celebrate Thanksgiving in particular, uh, so it was just working. But uh, yeah, it was uh, good, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think we could we could first start. I'm sure everyone wants to kind of get your thoughts on what's happened over the last kind of 24 hours. So if you want to kind of walk us through what, what your kind of thought process has been. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think it's a fairly simple thing. Uh, like, uh, like, you know, the equity markets or like, you know, specifically like yeah, US equity markets, like global equity markets uh, have uh, like sort of all crashed uh, overnight and like into the morning US time. Um, they crashed like, you know, a few percent or whatever. Uh, off the back of like, you know, what people think is off the back of the uh, news of the new COVID variant uh, being like worse than some of the other ones or like, you know, like people or governments reacting pretty strongly to it. Um, and yeah, so like that's what fueled the equity market crash. Uh, and if you remember, like, you know, like this is exactly what uh, what fueled the, the giant crypto crash in March 2020. Uh, I'm not like expecting that to have like, you know, something of that magnitude to happen. Uh, but uh, we have seen that the crypto markets uh, have some potential to, uh, you know, like move in the same direction, but like, you know, a little bit more, like with a higher than one beta to these equity markets. Um, and yeah, that happens for like a few reasons, uh, like specifically, like, you know, like we were uh, once again, uh, this was a crash uh, into uh, like, you know, holiday liquidity or something like that, uh, where, uh, you know, potentially like, you know, some of some like institutions or whatever uh, who might have been around to bid Bitcoin or crypto or like anything. Uh, weren't around. Uh, and so like, maybe there's some potential for like any, uh, any organic move like this to get exacerbated. Uh, crypto also has uh, some, uh, some like uh, market structure features uh, which make it more likely to have large moves than small ones, especially if there's like a, an organic reason for it, uh, like, like COVID. Um, uh, like uh, crypto has uh, like, you know, had very high leverage. Uh, it's gotten a lot uh, less high uh, on average over the past year or whatever, uh, since, uh, you know, exchanges have started uh, reducing their max leverage. They allow positions to be from like 100x to 20x and like, or whatever. Um, and, uh, but it still, it still exists. Uh, and like, so people still get liquidated uh, when there's a biggish move uh, and, you know, like a 10% move over, over 24 hours, like it basically did get back to 60K and now, and then it got back to 54. Um, that, that is big enough to trigger some liquidations. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, in a nutshell, that's what happened, uh, like COVID, uh, triggering equity sell-off, equity sell-off, triggering Bitcoin sell-off, uh, and Bitcoin has, uh, yeah, these, these uh, structural features that, uh, allow it to sort of, uh, under, like, you know, overperform, uh, uh, moves and, or like, you know, uh, have, have moves that sort of like get, get multiplied by something more than one. Yeah. So I think that's roughly what happened. Uh, I don't think it's especially concerning, uh, uh as we've seen, uh, like, the markets uh, have a tendency to overreact to news. Even the equity markets have had a tendency to overreact to COVID-related news um, over the past year and a half. Uh, and so I'm not saying that the sell-off is done. It might like, you know, maybe like, maybe the US is gonna like announce some uh, sweeping COVID uh, uh, policies over the next couple of days. Uh, in which case I would expect it to sell off more. Uh, but, uh, you know, like at some point, like I, I think the markets are going to, you know, stop reacting in, in this kind of way. Um, but yeah, we'll see if that's if that's now or you know in a, in a month or whatever. Sure. Do you think we've seen enough kind of OI flush or, or enough liquidations? Because it seems like funding. I mean, it's it's kind of come down a bit, but it really isn't 
we haven't, we haven't seen funding like in an aggregated level kind of flip negative. Um, so a, like, do you, do you think that's the case? Have we already kind of reached that kind of, you know, capacity for you to think we're kind of bottoming out and B, is that something where you always think we have to kind of have funding flip negative or this, you know, drastic amount of liquidations to say, okay, or the market's probably bottoming out. Um, yeah. I mean, like, uh, so the, uh, this, this kind of, uh, uh, this kind of environment has shifted pretty dramatically over the past, uh, I'd say like something like year and a half or two years or so, um, where uh, like before Bitcoin had had gotten above 20K, like this is like, you know, uh, winter 2019 uh, or like uh, December 2019. Um, uh, there were like so many short positions that had the potential to be liquidated that never could have before. Uh, and it really matters uh, that uh, like when we're talking about like, you know, potential for liquidations uh, and like whether op open interest matters uh, in terms of predicting liquidations, it really matters whether uh, we're at like a local maximum or local minimum. Uh, uh, this is because like, all right, let, let's say uh, like, let, let's say that even like, you know, right now versus uh, the first time Bitcoin got to 60, uh, 60K. Uh, the first time it got to 60K, uh, like there were like, you know, all these new long positions that could get liquidated. Uh, on the way down and like it really did like sharply revert down back to like you know around 30 uh after uh, after it uh, first reached that uh, that especially high point um the second time it got back up to 60 uh like you know that, that's like much less likely now uh, because like you know all the longs that were open between 30 and 60 on the first time up uh were able to get liquidated on the way down uh but like if it the second time it got to 60 if there was a small drawdown uh like those had already been liquidated uh, i guess uh and yeah, so like even if the open interest numbers themselves aren't super different, uh, it really matters when they were like when they got created at, and like at what prices, uh, and in particular where we are, like what price we're at relative to those prices. Uh, and so since we like sort of like literally just climbed from fifty to sixty, like you know a few weeks ago, uh, I think that there's not a ton of open interest right now uh, that like is especially prone to getting liquidated from a move like sixty to fifty-five. Um, uh, if it gets back down to something below where it's been in the past couple months, uh, then like, you know, it's a different conversation, uh, which like, you know, it might uh, if there's more bad COVID news. Uh, but right now, I think that uh, I think this is the biggest consideration. And yeah, there's not uh, like in the really immediate future, there's nothing, nothing specific to expect. Sure. Um, so like earlier this year, we had prolonged high funding for like whatever, two or three months when we had some occasional yeah. kind of moves down. But how do you kind of separate from saying, okay, well, we have high funding prices grinding down that usually kind of results in some kind of liquidation event versus mm -hmm. understanding when the spot bid is actually kind of supporting that. What kind of things do you look at to say, okay, well, you know, the spot, the spot bids kind of bailing these, these leverage apes out. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the main thing that funding uh, indicates to me, uh, especially like, you know, like really high funding in one direction, uh, it tells me that, uh, uh, it tells me that like the, like, yeah, the price move is yeah, like largely being driven by uh, like a net, uh, like a net disparity in buying and selling uh, in specifically derivatives. Uh, and yeah, like you said, uh, that can uh, like, if like, you know, if, uh, if the price is moving, you know, uh, one direction, uh, like let's say up uh, like for a prolonged period uh, during which uh, I'm like, you know, quite confident that was being driven by like very aggressive people in the markets and the derivative markets, uh, because like, you know, when, when funding is really high, uh, that really just indicates that someone's doing something very price insensitively in one direction, because, uh, you know, like you, you could be like doing much better uh, price wise if you were not uh, using that product, uh, but you're still choosing to anyway. Uh, that means that you're uh, 
like yeah, that means that you're like you care more about how much leverage you can get uh, than about your price, uh, which means that you're uh, a being really aggressive, uh, b prone to getting liquidated uh, if uh, if your position moves against you at all. Um, and so yeah, I do think that yeah, like during periods when funding is much higher, uh, that's yeah, it, it just tells you that like uh, if there's a drawdown, the drawdown will be big or it could be big, not will be. Um, and yeah, that's so that's the biggest thing. Uh, it's not even that like people putting on positions with derivatives are like you know, like any, like have less conviction or like it's a, it's a less, uh, like the move is less likely to be sustained. Uh, I don't think that there's any real difference in probability of like uh, the move getting like reverted, like partially reverted after, uh, some, after like the, it's being driven by derivatives and versus spot. Uh, but I do think that like, if it does uh, revert back somewhat, it will revert back more on average. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's the gist of what I think there. Um, yeah, when funding is like you know closer to zero, uh, then uh, it, the moves can still be like pretty driven by derivatives trading, uh, but it just will be like you know lower leverage derivative trading uh, and you know less uh, uh, less price insensitive, uh, which you know can sometimes mean like you know smarter or something, but like that doesn't really matter in terms of impact. Got it. And aside from funding, what things do you usually look at to kind of gauge how much leverage there perhaps is in the system? I guess for, aside from funding and open interest. Uh, I mean, those are the big ones. Um, like uh, something that Alameda does also, uh, like uh, like we have, you know, like pretty short short term or sh short time scale trading, uh, like all the time. It's all automated, uh, and uh, like a big part of how our models work uh, is trying to determine, like you know, where uh, uh, like which markets have moves that matter the most uh, in terms of predicting uh, what the other markets are going to do. Uh, so, uh, like what I mean by that is like. Uh, let's say that let's let's pretend that we like there are only like you know three exchanges in the universe. Uh, we'll use Binance, FTX, and Coinbase uh, as as the three exchanges. Um, like maybe it's the case that every time uh, every time Bitcoin goes like ticks up on Binance, uh, it will always tick up on the other two uh, in the next like you know hundred milliseconds. Uh, but let's say that uh, uh, in the uh, if it ticks up on Coinbase, it will only go up. Uh, it'll, it'll only tick up on the other two, like 10% of the time. Uh, and like, you know, uh, that, that sort of just means that, you know, Binance is more informative uh, of price moves uh, than the other markets. Um, and uh, th those numbers uh, aren't right. Uh, but like, yeah, this is like the kind of thing that we're trying to track all the time. Uh, and in aggregate, uh, if an exchange tends to be like, you know, the most informative, like for a given product, uh, it tends to be the case uh, that like tracking things like open interest uh, and, you know, funding and like you know the premium of the of the derivative to the rest of the market uh can like matter a lot even even long term uh just because like uh yeah like the the most important markets just like sort of tend to stay the most important on any on like other time scales as well uh, so that's something that we track um but yeah like the, the gist is still uh, open interest funding uh funding and uh and maybe more importantly uh premium uh, at a given time uh like the funding is kind of just like an average of the premium of, of, of the perpetual to spot uh, over, over the funding period. Uh, but we're tracking it much more granularly. Uh, like we always know the premium of everything. Um, but yeah, so th those are the most important things to us too. Um, and yeah, that like it, it's, things have evolved to the point where like, you know, uh, this is not as so much the most important thing as it used to be. Um, like it, it's, it's honestly gotten a lot harder to predict these uh, medium timescale moves, I think, because uh, liquidations have gotten a lot less rampant uh, since, you know, since various things about the markets have changed. Um, but yeah, they, they still matter a lot.
Sure. Do you also look at kind of in a bit more granularity, open interest in terms of stablecoin margin versus crypto margin? Like one kind of like broader, like market structure thing that I've been looking at is just like the portion of open interest that's currently margined with crypto versus stable coins and kind of the uh, decreased amount of potential convexity that we have, you know, if we were to start having some kind of major drawdown, do you look at that as well? Will you perhaps say, okay, well, you know, funding is rising as well. We also have like crypto margin, open interest so that kind of adds to, you know, our, our likelihood of a potential drawdown. Uh, yeah. I mean, in theory that can matter. Uh, I haven't found it to matter a ton in practice, uh, but like the sample size is pretty small. Uh, so it's not like I'm confident about that or anything. Um, gotcha. Yeah. And what do you think about like different correlations to kind of legacy markets? You know, I think in, in specific, the, the one that always comes up is just the Dixie as well as like the S&P. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is interesting uh, because, uh, yeah, it's evolved a lot in the past year and a half, uh, kind of like everything in the crypto markets has. Um, yeah, like, you know, like pre-March 2020, uh, it was actually kind of unclear what was uh, like, you know, to what extent uh, it like should crypto have a beta to like yeah, the traditional markets uh like if there's like you know like a big a big move in the traditional markets like what's going to happen to crypto uh, i remember reading articles uh, like you know back from before this uh this all happened uh sort of speculating like oh like if there's like a big crash uh, in the traditional markets like maybe crypto is going to act as like a flight to safety asset like maybe it's going to you know like massively outperform uh the traditional markets uh, obviously that's not what happened uh and i think it like i, I think that's like sort of the predictable thing anyway like uh, in a in like a global pandemic when people are like you know super risk off uh, in like the equity markets like people aren't like you know racing to immediately racing to put their money into like you know magic internet coins uh, as uh, as uh, you know at least like some people derisively view them um uh yeah and so we've sort of seen like as the equity markets have recovered and like you know like done quite well uh they've uh, crypto like sort of again out like uh, went in the same direction but like more uh and yeah, I basically think that that is like what's going to happen going forward uh, to some extent, especially as crypto becomes more uh, accepted by, you know, the, these traditional institutions uh, that like have risk books that they are maintaining. And that like, that's the kind of thing that sort of like, you know, even like kind of forces crypto to have a beta to the markets. Um, and yeah, I, I basically think it's going to keep happening. Uh, and like the, the market sort of has spoken, I guess, on this. Uh, and it's unlikely to reverse uh, its its opinion, I guess. Uh, and that's exactly what we saw in the past day. Do you guys look at any kind of like price structure things? Like I imagine you probably don't, but do you guys like draw, you know, price levels or, or like, you know, chart patterns and these kinds of things, or is it more just quantitative, just looking at these different kinds of metrics around derivatives and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all pretty quantitative. Um, like, I mean, there's some like, uh, some like, I don't know, like more intuition-based things uh, where, uh, we'll like you know have some have some idea of like how uh, how the market's going to react to some like idiosyncratic thing going on, uh, but because and, and that can never really be especially quantitative. Like uh, the, the first time like you know Elon Musk starts tweeting about Doge, like how do you like you know you can't build a model about that. Like you're just kind of guessing about uh, what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, for the most part, uh, when we uh, when we're like you know doing trades that are like you know based on some level on what's happened in the past. Uh, we're gonna try and be pretty quantitative about it. Sure, like, like running a running a study instead of like you know like I mean strictly speaking, uh, when people are like you know making charts and like drawing lines on them, that's kind of like a study. Uh, but uh, we have uh, some methods we found to be better. <laughs> gotcha. And like speaking of intuition, I imagine you know you kind of have to keep your finger on the pulse to keep that intuition strong. 
what have been like kind of the biggest changes in overall market structure that you've seen kind of evolve since when you first got into, you know, Bitcoin and crypto overall versus where we are now? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's some, there's some big changes that have happened. Uh, I first started like sort of looking into crypto in uh, summer of 2017, uh, not, as, not like especially uh, rigorously or anything, uh, but uh, the kinds of the kinds of trades that were possible back then uh, were just kind of just wild. Uh, like the, the the thing that really hooked me into like, oh, I should really look, be looking into crypto uh, is uh, at the time, uh, I guess Coinbase and uh, Bitfinex uh, were two of the bigger uh, US spot exchanges. Uh, and I was just kind of looking at their prices one day and was like, huh, they're like a percent, like Bitcoin's like a percent apart for like real size on this. That must be a data error. Um, and then I didn't actually, I like didn't pursue it for a bit because I was like super confident it was a data error. Uh, but I uh, tried to like you know a few weeks later I was like ah, like it's worth worth a shot like if if I it's not possible I'm the only one seeing this but, like you know maybe uh, so I tried to buy buy on the cheap one and sell on the rich one and it just kind of worked like instantly um, and I was like huh like that's <laughs> that's kind of stupid uh, and yeah so like these kinds of arts were just like you know kind of everywhere back then. Uh, and so, yeah, that's something that's been eroded away uh, as more, uh, you know, like more smart firms, like smart money have uh, entered the entered the space, uh, like, you know, built automated systems to sort of not allow that to persist for as long as it used to be able to. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's like one class of changes that have happened. Uh, like these sophisticated firms with, uh, uh, with automated strategies have uh, sort of changed the landscape of what's possible and also driven down latency quite a bit. Um, like it used to, it used to be able to like, uh, do trades on a like a or or like only be doing trades in like a fifteen second time scale or whatever. Like you'd be able to like uh, like run an algorithm every fifteen seconds and like you know like actually do well with it, but like execute arbs like that didn't didn't care if you did one leg fifteen seconds after the second one. Like you were just gonna win on average. That's not true anymore. It's it's sub one second now. Uh, uh, so that's one class of things. Uh, another class of things I think is exchanges and other platforms have have changed quite a bit. Uh, like everyone remembers the. Uh, 2018 uh, handling of the uh, BCH fork, uh, where uh, uh, like futures that were going to expire after the fork, uh, like ended up reaching OKX's price limits uh, to the point where like you know like uh, people who like were able to get really short uh, the futures uh, and like lock in a really good profit, uh, but then OKX like settled the futures early. Uh, that's the kind of thing where uh, there's like. A lot more trust in exchanges now uh, than there used to be because like incidents like that just would never happen these days um and yeah exchanges are kind of like you know like there's not there's not like much like you know regulation of the crypto exchanges as of yet especially the ones outside the us um but they sort of are like self-regulating i guess to the point where like there's just so many more norms uh that like traders can expect will be followed by the platforms uh like money doesn't get locked up or like hacked or whatever uh nearly as often as it used to um and yeah i think crypto has just like gotten a lot more legitimate uh, in a few ways like this uh that are sort of exemplified by the way exchanges operate um internally um yeah i think those are the two big ones uh or the two big classes of things that that come to mind uh but yeah crypto has like you know evolved quite a bit it's uh, getting a lot more like mature i guess uh, and uh, more reliable Sure. And like on kind of a similar note, do you think the options market growing is kind of a, a signature of that? Um, I remember, well, I think it was with, with 
Kobe and Ledger, you did a podcast, if I'm not mistaken, and you basically kind of said that you don't think the options market has a significant impact on the overall Bitcoin market yet, uh, but it is growing. Uh, do, you, do you think as we see that grow, that'll just be a sign of the market maturing and kind of the institutionalization, if you will, of Bitcoin? Uh, and then also, yeah. do you have kind of like a mental, not necessarily timeline, but kind of framework as, as far as like how you kind of see that process kind of taking place? Sure. Um, yeah, so I definitely think that uh, like as the market continues to mature, uh, yeah, options will just like sort of naturally become a bigger a bigger piece of things. Uh, that's the same thing that happened with futures. Like in 2017, uh, there were not very many platforms that were offering futures, um, and like the volume for the the ratio between the the volume of futures to the ratio to the volume of spot was like you know a lot closer, a lot, a lot lower. Uh, futures have become a lot bigger uh, bigger part of the ecosystem. Uh, and that's the exact same thing that happened in the equities markets. Uh, and yeah, I expect that options will uh, sort of uh, sort of rise to fill a similar role to what they fill in in equities over time. Uh, I still don't think that they are like a very big part of uh, of the picture that matters. Uh, like you know, like every like when there's a the big options expiration or like you know a big options expiration, uh, it like you see like you know a, a, a very outsized amount of chatter on Twitter about like oh like. Like this is like causing these price these price moves or whatever. Uh, it, it never is. Uh, like crypto options just do not have the open interest to to matter um, in 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 crypto in the crypto markets just yet, especially relative to like the impact that like you know every funding cycle has uh, in every perpetuals market. Uh, just like it's it dwarfs the options. Um, but yeah, over time it will like, it will like almost certainly uh, become become a much more important part of it. Like. You know, options expirations in equities markets do matter a lot, uh, and like you know, the the big like important uh, important options positions like you know have real impact, and that will happen in crypto too. Uh, but um, yeah, it hasn't yet. Gotcha. And as, as far as like at Alameda, when you guys are making decisions, how do you kind of divvy up the kind of weight that each person makes to a decision, as well as like, I know you kind of identify as kind of a, a quick thinker, right? You, you're able to make these, these fast decisions versus I'm sure you have people on the team that are a bit more, you know, slow thinkers, uh, kind of methodical thinkers. And that, that's like personally how I would kind of identify myself. How do you kind of like intertwine the two of those to come to the best you know, possible decision? Uh, yeah. So uh, in general, we try and be like, you know, pretty, uh, uh, pretty like agnostic of like who you are uh, when you're, when we're like trying to make, you know, trying to make important decisions. Uh, we basically just like try and have like a good idea of what everyone's skills are, like what everyone's uh, like, you know, knowledge about a given situation is. Uh, and yeah, like if, if I think that someone else uh, is, you know, like more informed of a, given, of a certain situation than I am, uh, then I'm just like willing to defer to them like 100%. Uh, or if I think that they're like, you know, better for like, you know, if, if I would expect that uh, their decision would be better than mine on average. I just like the, the weight will be 100-0. Like I don't really care about my opinion, even if I don't only barely think that someone else is a better is better suited for something than I am. Uh, we had something recently where a, a trader who's only worked here for a few months uh, like strongly disagreed with me about uh, how we should handle uh, the uh, the OMG boba fork, uh, and uh, but he was like you know much more in tune with like uh, what the community was talking about uh, like with uh, with this fork. Uh, he had like done a lot more research than I had about um, about like the exact dynamics of how the fork was going to work, uh, and yeah, so we I just like we just def fully deferred to what he thought, um, and uh, he was uh, much more right than I was uh, in the in in uh, like results too. Uh, so like that's the kind of thing that we're uh, always willing to do, uh, and 
uh, we've been very happy that we're willing to do that. Uh, and yeah, letting uh, letting people's egos get in the way of like you know making the right decision uh, is uh, something we try very hard to avoid. <laughs> sure, makes makes total sense. Uh, how do you deal with stress? Imagine you have a you know really large amount of stress, especially making these kind of short term time decisions. You just you know you just go for a walk. Do you guys have like a personal massager? <laughs> People ask us that all the time, actually. Uh, we uh, uh, we do not, uh, but we have had a massage uh, therapist come in uh, like on, on and off in the past. Um, I mean, yeah, people deal with dress in different ways. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I'm pretty good at like, I guess I'm pretty good at not, uh, it's like tilting is something that some people uh, are pretty bad at or pretty bad with. Uh, like we're like, you know, like something like be going badly and it, it sort of like very drastically negatively impacts their mood. Um, that's not, that doesn't really happen to me. Uh, I've uh, always played a lot of games um, to the point where like, you know, I'm uh, especially games where uh, the best player wins like 53% of the time. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable uh, like being confident that even though I lost something, I like, you know, that doesn't mean that I was bad at, at it. It doesn't mean that my decisions going forward will be bad. Uh, and I like, I don't over update on things like that. Um, uh, in terms of like, you know, more generic stress, uh, yeah, like there's some of that. Uh, I try to, it, it, it used to be much worse uh, during like the years when we had like, you know, like three traders uh, covering 24 um, seven. That was, uh, that was kind of brutal. And it was kind of like, it, it sometimes was hard to, uh, hard to like, you know, like do, do things for yourself uh, to, to the point where uh, you could deal with stress effectively. Uh, we have a, a much bigger team now uh, to the point where, uh, unless like, you know, the market's on fire or something, uh, it like, we can be pretty flexible with like, you know, time off and stuff. Uh, so I, I think I deal with stress in a pretty normal way, I guess. Uh, just like, you know, hang out with friends, do, do hobbies. Uh, but. I, remember, I remember one story, I think you told Kobe, what was it? You went and bought a watch or something one time when you're getting oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, that was, a uh, that, that was during the, uh, when was that? That, that must've been like right after March, 2020. Um, and yeah, we did not have very many traders. Uh, I had been in the office for like several days in a row and our office was uh, in the same building as a mall. And yeah, I just, I don't really remember this, but I guess I went and bought this watch <laughs> and it, it made me feel better. So <laughs> are there times that you'll just sleep in the office? Like you'll just sleep on your desk, right? I, there's that like iconic picture of Sam, you know, just on the beanbag passed out. Yeah. People love talking about the beanbag. Uh, I, I don't like the beanbag so much. Uh, I uh, would like I have like a chair that goes back that I like sleeping in but we also have like mattresses in the office uh, and like you know we, like there's some like uh, conference rooms that are just uh, you know converted to bedrooms uh, which we'll use <laughs> one of the most uh, one of my worst uh, memories of working here uh, was from again March 2020 uh, where I'd been in the office for uh, I think I, like 48 hours in a row uh, this was like you know on march 12th uh, when uh like you know the market was like just tanking uh, and i told people like okay i need to sleep uh wake me up if it falls another 20 percent uh and i was woke up like 20 minutes later <laughs> it was like it was like the most like i, I actually was just like oh my god <laughs> this is over isn't it um, but, how, uh, yeah, how close was the market actually out. going to to zero on that day mm -hmm. uh yeah it plausibly could have printed at zero on bitmex if bitmex had not gone down um, like the, the thing going on there uh, was uh, like, so like I mentioned that uh, crypto is very prone to liquidations, especially liquidation cascades. Uh, like the market had fallen, you know, like 50% over the, over the preceding day. Uh, and there were like, you know, like 
like hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that were like supposed to get liquidated uh, because like their positions got bankrupt. Um, and yeah, so you, like you could, the way BitMEX's liquidation engine works, works or at least worked then, I'm like 99% sure it works the same way now, uh, is that they wouldn't literally send a market order. Uh, they would sort of like have these limit orders uh, sort of, uh, and if they didn't get filled, then like X time they stepped down. Uh, and you could just see like all these liquidation orders that were supposed to get filled, like marching down the order book. Uh, but like no one had any capital on BitMEX to buy a, to buy these uh, to buy the offers, uh, and they were already much lower than all the other markets. Um, and uh, the the limiting factor here is like uh, in order to trade up BitMEX, you have to have Bitcoin collateral, and the Bitcoin blockchain was uh, like you know very slow that day. Uh, and yeah, so like uh, it was to the point where like yeah, like these orders were going to march down to zero, uh, and they almost certainly would have over like the course of the next hour. Uh, but then BitMEX went down. Uh, uh, who knows why? Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's quite likely it would have printed at zero. I don't think it would have printed at zero anywhere else. Uh, it might have like spooked some people and made it go a bit lower, but there was no reason for it to go to zero. Uh, like no organic reason anyway. How did you guys exactly kind of play that situation? If you don't want to like give the full playbook, then, then that, that's fine. But whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a ton of things going on. Uh, we were basically like, you know, it was a, an all hands on deck thing. Uh, where uh, there was like so much to do uh, that uh, like, yeah, it, it's impossible to go into all of it. Uh, the, the gist of what we were doing uh, was like all, all these markets, like all these like uh, markets on like identical products uh, were trading completely out of whack with each other uh, because, you know, people just didn't have the capital uh, in, uh, in the right places in order to keep, to keep these spreads in line. So, you know, there'd be identical spot markets, identical um, futures markets, like future spreads with spot. Uh, that were trading like, you know, 10, 20, 30% apart. Uh, and uh, if you could be confident that uh, if you put your, if you put these trades on, you wouldn't get liquidated, uh, they were just incredible. Uh, like on like, uh, like marked to six hours later. Uh, the tricky thing is like, uh, like some of the positions were involved futures uh, and uh, you either had to choose between putting the, putting the trade on really small uh, or, you know, like levering up even 3x was risky because the markets had in fact just moved 30% and a 30% move uh, means that you're getting liquidated. Uh, so yeah, we were just basically trying to take our finite capital base, uh, figure out where to send it uh, in order to, you know, like maximize how much money we were going to make, uh, given that like, you know, these things were changing by like, you know, the spreads were uh, swinging around by like tens of percents over the course of minutes. Um, and uh, like I mentioned, blockchain times uh, for some of the slower blockchains were just incredibly slow. Uh, exchanges were struggling to process all their deposits and withdrawals. Uh, and so you had to be thinking about all these things that you didn't usually have to think about um, when you know trying to decide what is the what is the correct use of this money. And like I said, we hit like uh, we have a lot of like our capital base is quite large. We're very lucky in that way, but like it's still finite. We could not do anywhere near all we wanted to do uh, on that day. Um, yeah, so the gist was trying to find what to do. And also we had a bunch of tech problems. Uh, I'm sure most firms had a lot of tech problems on this day. Um, and like, we have like, you know, various market making relationships uh, like uh, that we were trying to tr trying and failing to, to, uh, to completely uh, satisfy. Um, so yeah, th you know, there was a ton going on. Uh, we were all just trying to think, uh, think, on, think on our feet to the best we could. It was super idiosyncratic. Like this, none of this was based on our, you know, studies that we'd run. This was all very new. <laughs> Sure. I, I want to get into it. was the, fun. <laughs> yeah, I could, have, I could imagine it was, it was a, like an adrenaline rush. Uh, I, I do have a final question. I want to ask you something I forgot to ask. Uh, what was like your yeah. best trade over the last year, if you feel comfortable sharing that you guys had? Uh, sure. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of things uh, that uh, 
you know, like it, it like best is uh, sort of subjective. Um, like the, uh, something I've talked about a number of times uh, is uh, the decision to, uh, you know, uh, buy a bunch of Doge the second Elon Musk started talking about it, uh, just because uh, that that's one of the things where there's so much asymmetry uh, between uh, between the upside and the downside. Uh, because like the downside uh, was like you know he he stops talking about it and like probably goes down like twenty percent. Uh, the upside was that it like you know fifty x um, from where it was uh, because like the the real upside is like you know he, he uh, encourages it to be like adopted for some reason um, by you know like some some fraction of uh, of like you know real world users or something uh, and. Uh, so yeah, like that, identifying spots like that where you're basically buying a cheap lottery ticket uh, are like quite important if you can do it. Uh, and we uh, very much doubled down on that. Um, that went quite well. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a few, like, I don't know, there's, there's a number of things. Uh, like the, like strictly speaking, I think our best trade was uh, recognizing the a similar asymmetry uh, before Bitcoin cracked 20K. Uh, uh, it was like the sort of obvious uh, that the downside and upside were not the same uh, because uh, the downside was like, oh, like once it starts getting near 20K, uh, what's the downside? Well, the downside is like, it doesn't, it like sort of bounces off for the 10th time, uh, but there's no real reason to expect it to, to crash a lot. Uh, but if it if it got past 20K, uh, there was a lot of upside potential uh, because of because uh, of all the liquidations that I mentioned from before. Uh, like it was very unlikely to settle at 22. Uh, it was likely going to go to 30 if it, if it got above it or, or like obviously it went higher than that but uh, that's another thing that we made a lot of money on um yeah that, i don't know there's, there's like uh, other things like this uh like our bread and butter is like sort of not not very sexy to talk about uh that our bread and butter is like you know putting on these like spreads uh that are quite predictably good and we like sort of just like try and maximize them as, as much as possible um probably like our biggest recent thing uh that has gone quite well is uh, sort of the general uh, our, our general yield farming business um, yield farming has just exploded in a way that, uh, like, we were not expecting uh, a priori anyway uh, during DeFi summer. Um, but yeah, like, uh, probably like our best like you know trading decision uh, has been to devote like, like sometimes half of our trading time and uh, like a ton of our capital uh, to uh, like sort of researching what are, what are the best new yield farms right now. Uh, like tracking uh, like both like manually with our traders uh, as well as like you know build infrastructure to track uh what are the uh like how are these yields evolving like where should our capital be uh like spending you know uh resources uh researching like you know rug risk of these of these platforms um and yeah we've made like you know a, an astronomical amount of money uh from <laughs> from doing all this uh which has been very cool and it was not something i was expecting um so yeah i i think that like that's probably our like it, it's not like the again it's not like the most like cool thing to talk about or whatever uh but it's 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 been a quite quite good decision that we made. <laughs> Sam, I could talk to you for like hours, man, and keep asking you questions, <laughs> but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up. I do have one final question for you, though. What's just like some some alpha you could give for the audience, and then as well, like kind of off of that question, do you have any favorite books that you'd recommend for the audience to kind of learn more about trading? Uh, sure. Um, so I'll. Uh... I'll address the books first. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a great answer to that, to be honest. Um, I'm not really like a book reader. Like I, I tend to read more articles than books. Um, but there's uh, like the, the way that I have, uh, the, the kind of books that have most impacted my, uh, my trading and like, you know, the way that I think about like, you know, trading uh, problems in general, like the world uh, have been uh, books that are about poker, actually. Um, 
like uh, poker strategy tends to translate quite nicely to um, really any uh, uh, any fields where you're like trying to think in expected value terms, uh, trying to like you know uh, like think, make make all your decisions involve like thinking about variance things like that. Uh, and David Slansky is a very good author uh, in of poker books, uh, so I've read a number of his books and think they're quite good. Um, again, it's not specifically about trading, uh, but it's uh, I think it translates translates quite nicely. Um, in terms of uh, general alpha, let's see. Uh, I think that the most important thing, uh, especially uh, this is something that I've uh, learned more, uh, maybe even more recently, um, is uh, figuring out how to adapt uh, tends to be like super important uh, in, when you're in like a complicated, uh, like any sort of complicated situation, uh, which crypto trading uh, really is quite, quite a complicated situation uh, for the most part. Um, like the, the kinds of things that I'm thinking about and doing now, uh, re like really don't resemble the kinds of things I was thinking about and doing in 2017 uh, when I first started looking into crypto. Um, like really not at all, to be honest. Uh, the like had Alameda not uh, not not adapted to things like uh, like oh we have to do yield farming now. Like do we have a competitive advantage in that? Like at the time, like yeah, it didn't really seem like we had to. Like uh, it isn't really anything like the kinds of ARBs and uh, Delta trades that we tend to make. Uh, it's like, you know, like, it's almost as like reading these numbers and like deciding which one's bigger on some level. Like it's like, it's a, you can morph into being analogous to, to the, our normal trading, uh, but it's not something that like seemed obvious uh, upfront. Uh, but yeah, learning how to adapt to it was like ended up being, you know, quite good for us. Uh, the same thing happened with, uh, NFTs. Uh, we didn't like. We really didn't think that we had any any edge uh, interacting with NFTs. And I still, I'm not super convinced that we have like a ton of edge uh, in like you know some aspects of it. Um, but uh, like you know, like it a lot. And a lot of us had like the initial instinct, myself included, of like, oh, like like why should we think about this? It doesn't make any sense for us to think about this. Uh, but like you know, we were like, oh, like what if this is DeFi again? Like what if uh, what if we're supposed to be thinking about this? Uh, and yeah, it's exploded uh, to, to uh, like you know from like especially where it was six months ago or whatever, like the market caps of these things have like just gone up a lot. Um, and yeah, like uh, being willing to being willing to adapt and uh, not being uh, like sort of recognizing biases and like uh, like figuring out how to overcome them. Like I, I knew I was biased against NFTs, uh, sort of just decided to defer to people who I knew weren't uh, for some of these things and like decide they were right with, even though I like, like viscerally thought they were wrong. Uh, and they were right. Uh, so yeah, that, this is the kind of thing that I think has been, uh, it's like hard to do, uh, but it's something that has uh, gained, uh, gained Alameda and, and me a lot of value. Sure. That's an amazing answer. I want to give you an opportunity just real quick to plug your, plug your Twitter in or anything else you want to plug. Oh yeah. Uh, my Twitter is, uh, uh, it's uh, Alameda Research, or sorry, that's not right. It's uh, Alameda Tribuco. Uh, it's T-R-A-B-U-C-C-O. Uh, I mostly shit post these days about tungsten cubes. Uh, so if you're interested in that, then uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah, be, no, but seriously though, be sure to check out Sam's Twitter because he also puts out these really awesome threads from time to time. You know, everyone everyone is always, you know, whenever there's some kind of big move, everyone's just patiently waiting for Sam to come out with this thread. Like, here's why this was completely obvious. There's always kind of like these memes now. You have people, you have people like cloning you on Twitter now. Whenever something happens, they'll be like, here's here's why you know this move was was blatantly obvious and blah 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 basically like you know trolling so yeah you, you know be sure everybody to check out uh sam's twitter i mean he's, he's easily one of the, the smartest people that i know of uh and i learned a lot from him constantly um constantly on his twitter and listening to podcasts of him so 
Thank you so much, Sam, for coming on. I really appreciate you. Uh, I know your time is really valuable. So thanks for uh, giving it to us today. Uh, I, I personally learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will as well. So just thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And take it easy, man. Yeah, you too. Thank you.